good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and hello to wherever you might be listening to this podcast. Welcome back to episode 8 of the LB Performance Podcast with me, as always, your host, Lawrence Bourne. On this week's episode, I'm going to be speaking to the fastest man in Ireland across 100 metres. His name is Stephen Gaffney. I've had the pleasure of knowing Stephen for the last going on nearly nine years now. I met him first in 2012, right after the London Olympics had concluded, and I had just started into my running career back then when I joined Rathfarnham Athletic Club, based in South Dublin. That's where I met Stephen Gaffney. And since that day, Stephen has accomplished many feats in his time in athletics, most notably his senior national title as 100m champion. He also boasts PBs in 60m of 6.85 seconds, 100m in 10.54 seconds and 200m in 20.93 seconds. Stephen is now working as a software engineer in a company called Output Sports, a technological company that works around athlete performance. And in today's episode, we touch on this along with what it takes to become the fastest man in the country, what a typical training week looks like for him, why his interest in technology and the role it plays in his own training, and psychologically, what does it take to become the fastest man in the country? So without further ado, here's Stephen, enjoy the episode, and I'll chat to you guys on the other side. On your marks. Set. Stephen, welcome to the LB Performance Podcast. How are you keeping? Yeah, good. Thanks, man, for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming on, man. I know you're like busy schedule at the moment between work and training. How is that? What's your typical week looking like at the moment? Quite busy now because I started a new job a few months ago in Outwood Sports. So I'm now working more or less full time as a software engineer. So it's five days a week, but kind of two half days, so four days really. And then I'm also still trying to juggle training, obviously. So yeah, keeping busy with all that. But I've I'm not coaching any anymore. So that obviously used to take up a lot of my time when I was studying and you know yourself a lot of evenings given up with that so it's nice now having a bit more time to even do stuff like this <laughs> do you miss the coaching at all uh i miss parts of it yeah like I, at christmas i got called in into ucd to help some of the soccer lads for like one or two sessions and it was great getting back in and then seeing a lot of, because you know you you know you i've been in there for so long and you see some of them coming up from under 17s right up to now their senior level so it's it's nice to see the progression and you miss that, but then you know, you know yourself. It wears off pretty quick as well when it's a cold night in January. And you're... yeah, <laughs> where was the uh, where was the translation between you, your experience of sprinting, and what you did with your coaching? What was your background when it came to coaching? Yeah, so I, because I studied in physio as my undergrad, so I had a lot of interest in sports science and obviously athletics, and I looked up a lot of stuff myself over time. And luckily enough, got in touch with Owen Clark, and we had on uh, a few weeks back through a mutual contact James Egan who was a, a mid-distance runner at the time and I kind of got started coaching a little bit with him without having too much actual formal education on it I studied physio at the time so obviously I knew a lot and I was quite experienced in the area doing physio I then realized I actually preferred the coaching and sports science side but not the physio side so I tried to get more and more into strength and conditioning and then I kind of gradually progressed into then working as a strength and conditioning coach for about two years and obviously then having my legs background you could bring a lot of pitch side stuff in so it was great and what kind of stuff were you doing with the teams that you were working with then specifically so each one had their own demands so I was with Brother Pierce Legs Club and I just did kind of gym work with them because obviously they have their own legs coaches that's going to work on the stuff in the track with them um, and then with the likes of UCD with the football teams and on the level I did different amount with different teams so the Leinster Senior League team was like the second team I just did pitch side with them and then with the underage stuff because they're the highest level at their age. I was doing gym and pitch. So I do fitness, speed, 
um, and then strength conditioning in, in the gym as well. So kind of trying to cover all bases. Do you miss that now in comparison to where you are now? I miss parts of it. I like, I do like the coaching part and I do see myself going into athletics coaching definitely when I'm older, way down the line though. But I always like learning about the sport and strength conditioning and sports science. So I can see myself doing down the line, but where I'm at the moment now working kind of in a sports tech company, I can kind of marry the two between having a cushy kind of job in an office sitting down all day and then my love for sports science as well. So so let's take it back. I think I would have met you, I think it was 2012, I, because I know myself, I started into athletics. At the, it was just after the London Olympics, actually. And their, their message of inspire a generation really rubbed off on me. So sure enough, I really wanted to get into it. That's when I met you. We were in the club in Rathfarnham at the time together. You're still with them, aren't you? Yeah, still with Rathfarnham. We had a, a brief one-year hiatus last year when I had, I just had a scholarship in UCD so I jumped ship for the national title and then I'm back now with Farnham for the, for the, for the future so all the hard work of years and years of supporting <laughs> me really paid off so no yeah still with Farnham and yeah I, I can't see myself switching ever so yeah no fantastic club in fairness so we we were back in 2012 and I remember meeting up in the clubhouse at one stage for one of the was the one of the th- Thursday night uh, kind of strength and conditioning sessions if you will uh, yeah and I remember looking around the pictures on the, the clubhouse walls. And of course, there was a picture of you, I think, either the year before that, doing a, the 5K race with with, uh, with Farnham. Yeah, and yeah. You were the singlet, just this skinny belinks mop head yeah. on you doing your 5K. Oh, I had to laugh looking at that picture now. Yeah. <laughs> where, where did you start from when it came to athletics then? I played lots of different sports during school and when I was quite young. And then... During secondary school, I did cross country once or twice, you know, didn't really. And then kind of probably third or fourth year trials for Stanford, did a bit of high jump, did a bit of long jump, did a bit of triple jump. Realized I'm actually quite good at the jumps and springy. Uh, it was never that lightning quick or anything, but good kind of elastic strength, I suppose. I got more and more into that. Then I joined Ross Farnham. Unfortunately, didn't have any jumps coach or any coach other than middle distance coaches. So I was kind of working away myself. I was lucky to have Simon Taggart and Terry Neer help me out. So he was an ex-national champion of the 100 hurdles. So he'd helped me a little bit with the jumps and some of the teachers there. And But I was also training for 800 middle distance so, or long distance. So it was kind of a, a blend of lots of different events and training styles. It wasn't probably until college that I were maybe sixth year. I think sixth year ended when I started focusing on jumps. And then switched to sprints, not till probably second year in college, I'd say. Or third year, actually, possibly, I think. It's 2015, anyway, so it was quite, quite late in my career. I won a national long jump medal of seniors, a bronze, in, I don't know what year now it was, but I was a sixth year in school or first year of college. I was quite good jumper, and then I, I hurt my knee, and I, took, I was out for like a year with it. Couldn't really get it right. It still gives me a bit of problem. Got a grips on it the last two years now, but it's, yeah, it's kind of given me a lot of problems over the years so I had to kind of stop jumping but before that I met my one of my current coaches now Kieran McDonough luckily and um, he's the national record holder for long jump so he was trying to rehab me he was getting me back long jumping and it just didn't work out the body just wasn't cooperating so we then decided to focus a little bit on sprinting and did quite well that indoor season and then had a really good outdoor season 2015 and then you know, that's, I've been training for sprints since, so. And obviously that's paid dividends now with your national title. Yeah. After yeah. all of those years work and I haven't seen you go through the heartbreak, the ups, the downs and everything over the last number of years to see you get that national title on telly was, for me looking at you, it was massive. But for you, I can't imagine the feeling of completion 
would probably be like the best word or achievement. How did that feel for you when you crossed the line? Did you did you have an idea that you were favorite coming into or one of the favorites coming into the, the final or was it just literally anyone's race? Yeah, so coming into it, I'd ran quite well. I only had one 200 meter race, but it was so limited last year trying to get races. The 100, I'd be running quite well. And I suppose like Marcus is kind of your benchmark to, to gauge yourself off because he's always in good shape. And, you know, you know, if you're beating Marcus, you're doing quite well. So I think I beat him, I beat him twice. I was training with him a bit as well. So we were both training quite well. And then in a meeting, Carlo, about five weeks before, there was two series of 100 meters in the first series. We were neck and neck right to the line, like, and there was no photo finish. You actually couldn't tell if you don't know who won, but, but I kind of twinged my hamstring tendon then. So I was out for probably three, four weeks rehabbing, getting back. So about two weeks before nationals, I was probably up to 70, 80% in training. The week of nationals, the first time I got back flat out, I got two sessions in early in the week just to get the confidence up. And I was moving really well. So quite confident then. But I suppose the fact that I missed a bit of training and, you know, these lads were still racing. When I was kind of sidelined, I suppose, you know, you'd have your little few doubts about how, what shape you're in and stuff, but I had some good training sessions that week. So I was quite confident then again. And I just very focused on all the work I'd done the rest of the season and the good races I had. And and then, yeah, won it. So it was unbelievable. What was the first thing you did after you won that race then? <sighs> I'm trying to think now. Can't remember who ranked first, whether it was coach of whatever, six, seven years. Can't remember. Ran, ran him first because he's been through everything with me. Yeah. Um, and then I ranked Stuart Hogg. So he's my. Other coach, you want to say, two coaches, lucky. <laughs> so um, he's been involved. This is the second season now. So he got he got called secondly, and then I can't remember. I had my girlfriend or my family next. Uh, can't remember which, but rang them, and then yeah, sure. We we're in the middle of you were still in lockdown, so there wasn't a whole lot I could do that evening. I got got some pizza with my family and my girlfriend, and just yeah. To be honest, you're just so yeah. Emotions are all over the place. To be honest, so I just crashed that noise, and it's probably the next day when I just set hood in a bit more. And, appreciate it did you watch back over the race afterwards at all oh yeah i've watched it yeah like i'd say about a million times it just, <laughs> yeah. never gets old i'd say yeah yeah you're not gonna lie <laughs> what's it what's it like to see you on t on national tv finishing or crossing that finish line first i mean to 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 to, to be even claimed as like the fastest man in ireland over 100 meters is just yeah ridiculous I know. i'd say it's a cool title to have, yeah. Like it's you know, no other event as well has that that same title, I suppose. That's the thing with national titles and I suppose records as well. It's always in the history book, like so. You know, if you go into the legs and you look back to the Road of Honor, they have every single athlete in their time and the wind and where for every national title and every event, like so, you know, you can't move that, you know, or get rid of it. So yeah, it's a real honor to be among all the national champions. So yeah, it's just unbelievable. And being on TV as well, obviously, is class and. Especially during COVID, I suppose it was probably a bit more tuning in that last year, which, you know, there's no other real sport on. So probably got more to you, probably got a few extra views. What were the factors that I suppose would you would you have classified as being the most important to win a national title? Like if you had to give someone a guide or a step-by-step process, if that's even remotely possible uh, on how to win a national championship or how to become the fastest man in Ireland, how would you go about doing that? There's a few kind of general guidelines or concepts, I suppose you, you have to go by. One is you got to, enjoy the sport as much as you can because it's it's a long process and you know back when we were you know young and referring and training for middle distance and stuff you were and even up to probably age 21 22 i was always looking for short-term goals this year or even next year and if you can somehow manage to convince a teenager or someone even 18 19 20 to focus on the next six to eight years as opposed to one or two years which is really hard in today's society with everything moving so fast you know like you can really achieve a lot even if you're not that naturally gifted in the sport or in any area of your life you can achieve a lot of just perseverance hard work you know enjoying it and 
being patient as well and just not overdoing it because you've got to make it sustainable because if you train really hard for a year or two and you don't like it you're getting injured you're gonna throw the tail in and you know it's, i've got to points in my career where i've almost packed it in most notably it was literally the summer before the last two my last two seasons which was my most successful seasons i really sat down had a good thing for six weeks whether i want to keep going or not and you know like because it's so much frustration between injuries and disappointments and stuff so if you can really be patient and spread like your your goals over long term and learn your, what your body can take and how much it can handle it's a big thing as well so this is the one thing that's being more being made more aware to me throughout my time in college and then even with working with people is you have to individualize it just because yeah. it's very easy for me to ask the question what works for you but what works for you was obviously what works for you if you were to give the same the same program or the same layout over a number of years to another athlete it may get them to the, to the point of the red zone where it might injure them or it might be under stimulating as well which obviously just doesn't lead to any ad- adaptation any progress in your running career when it comes to your training week then at the moment obviously i know you were saying at the start that you balance it out with work but specifically with training how does that look for you on a weekly basis and what would be the progression would it be over four weeks kind of six week blocks i'm 27 now you know so i've been training for sprints or long jump at a pretty high decent level like for probably what six seven years on you so i've tried lots of different things i know what doesn't work what does work with me and stuff so i have a really good understanding at this point in my career of what my body can tolerate and my coach Kim mcdonald has been with me through all that as well so he has a really good idea as well and he's also a physical therapist so he looks after me in terms of treatment so you know like we're really tuned in on that side of things so i've Previously, I ran three, four, even up to five times a week. I've lifted anywhere between none to three times a week in the gym. I've done other bits like yoga, Pilates, circuits. So I've done lots of different things and I've, I've tried to, you know, to find a perfect solution for me. And even this year, we're still changing things. So six weeks ago, we, we changed my training again. And I think we're at a really good place with it now. So what I do is I have two hard sessions on the track a week, one kind of more technical in runners maybe in spikes and then i lift twice heavy two pretty heavy gym sessions and then i have one circuit as well but i do that in the day with my technical sessions so i'm actually only training hard five days and two days complete rest it's just whatever can keep me healthy i adapt quite quick to train and i have no problem putting in the work and progressing my power my strength my speed my strength endurance all is pretty at decent level so we don't have to go bananas so i can string together three four months that's when I get in really good shape and I can start the PB. So what does a typical season look like for you in Ireland? Just for anyone who isn't familiar then with athletics in Ireland, I suppose. We normally take probably October off. So that's September or October, depending on when you finish the previous season. But we'd start off probably October, November pre-season. We train then up to January, February, depending on whether you're doing indoors. I haven't done indoors in just my third season, not doing indoors. So to me, my preseason goes from October, November, right through to probably April time. And then you start racing in May. So you race in May, June, July, August, and maybe September. It's be quite a long summer, but obviously we're training through some of those races and we're coming down for a week or two and getting a bit more training and tapering for a week or two as well. And sorry, on your last point as well, I, at the moment now, I have four-week blocks, so three weeks training, one week is down a bit. We try to get similar volume in, but the intensity is a little bit lower or else we keep the intensity a little bit higher and drop the volume. So we drop something. It's just an extra week for me to kind of let everything adapt, and recover and hit the next block hard. So I asked uh, uh, Schaefer Clary Bootner this a few episodes ago and 
the same question is going to apply to you. What was the worst session you have ever done in your athletics career? If you had to pick one, what stands out yeah, the most? I have one that jumps out for me. Yeah, I'm still scared. From it. <laughs> that was, what season was it? It was probably three seasons ago. In pretty good shape that year, but I had five 350s and it was off eight minutes. And yeah, they're quite quick. I can't remember the pace now on top of my head, but at the time they're pretty quick, but it was the worst. Like that's the the furthest have gone to the well now and and i just was in it was in alsa i don't know if you oh, ever yeah. open up, up near the airport yeah 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 i love alsa now but it can be a bit bleak as well like so the cold start sunday morning in alsa or something and i never get sick after it like that was a lot like you know getting sick after it's not that big of a deal a lot of people do and it happens quite regularly but this one like i was cold like my body went to shut down for about 20 25 minutes i was just stone cold after the session like i Went way too far in that one, but yeah, that that definitely takes the biscuit on that. What psychological strengths do you have to have in order to be the fastest man in Ireland? <sighs> yeah, a lot to this now. Um, resilience is definitely. The <laughs> we have one. time, Steve. We have yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely, resilience is probably the main thing. No matter who you are, you've got to be resilient. Unless you're, don't get beaten from day one, and you never get beaten. You need to be resilient because you're going to one, get injuries, get setbacks. Two, you're going to lose races. You don't even. Unless you're the fastest person in the world, there's someone better than you. So you're going to lose races and you're going to have bad days. So, and a lot of injuries for me, it's the injuries is the main thing. And I, because I, I say to people as well, and I, I genuinely mean this is, I don't know sometimes if you have to be a bit stupid or is it pure resilience? Because sometimes it doesn't make sense to keep going or it doesn't make sense. Like it causes so much hurt. And I think sometimes you just don't have another option. So, you know, you've committed so much to it that you just, you don't want to keep going, but you have to, you've got to enjoy it as well. I know over my six weeks before when I thought about packing it in and giving up, I had to have a good think and a look at what I wanted from the sport and what I've achieved so far. And at the time, I think I ran 10-6 and 21-2 and maybe had a bronze. I don't even know if I had a national medal in the sprints outdoors. And I just had to sit down and look and just say, if, you know, if I finish now, I'm done. During my times, etched down forever. Like, they're not going to I'm not going to come back at 30, 32 of no training and beat so I had to have a conversation with myself and see if I was happy with that. Um, and I decided I wasn't. So I knew I was well capable of faster and doing better than that. I owed it to myself and all the hard work I'd done before to achieve that. So so again, suppose, setting yourself goals was a big thing there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to be able to work hard. But I think enjoying it is a big thing. It's funny because I don't enjoy the training as per se a lot of the time but i enjoy the progress and i enjoy the challenge and I enjoy the racing and the competitiveness and then i enjoy improving aspects around the training as well like i don't think a lot of people enjoy going out and doing four or five three hundreds in lactic and you know you're in bits you're dying in between them sometimes you do and sometimes you get into the state where you're just you four in the middle of the session and you feel like unstoppable that doesn't happen that often so no. <laughs> and, that's a rarity yeah, well, when you see your times last week, I had five three hundreds in forty one. This week, I'm doing forty point five. You know, the feeling after it and progression and looking at it um, from that point of view, or even like you know, you're recording your starts and you're looking at videos and you're improving, or your your squats getting heavier, you're getting a better jump. You know, there's loads of different factors to to measure, and I think you can take enjoyment from that. And then I suppose a big other aspect of the psychological side is the competitive nature and handling stress and handling nerves and handling it all in the competitive environment. When last year, like nationals, it was a 10 second race and you know, it, it's the best to highlight my career so far. And thankfully it all went to plan and I got the goal, but you know, 
it is 10 seconds where you have to tune in and really, really get the job done. And everyone else is in the same boat, you know. But, you know, if I didn't get the job done, you know, I'd, you know, I don't even know if I'd be on the podcast here, you know, so we'll be nice. Yeah. So. <laughs> the highest honor of them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so you got to take your chance and you got to be able to, so that takes a lot of time in practice. Like there was one year I came fourth in the, in the 100 meters, 1066, I think. I actually strained my hamstring two weeks before. So I literally hadn't ran, like I'd ran sub-maximally up until that day. That morning, I think I sprinted flat out in the park beforehand to make sure I was all right. I actually was in really good shape despite that, but I didn't probably trust my hamstring. You know, you have to be able to run free and, you know, trust yourself. And that day I was in a pretty good position in the last five minutes. I think I just lost control a bit and then I ended up finishing fourth. Like, and so that was a day maybe where I could have got a national medal. So, you know, you've got to be able to handle the, the, de- the pressures on the day and the nerves around all the competitions. So. On the day of competition, do you have a routine? Do you have something that settles you or that anchors you down before a race? What I always do is the day before or that morning, depending on when I'm racing is, I write down a paper like my day to like the minute almost. Or what I normally do is I do, um, I get up, I do a shakeout first thing. So I go out, warm up, do four or five strides, come back in and I shower at a bit of breakfast. Then depending on what time the competition's on, I could just chill out, get lunch. It really depends when I'm competing. But then I pencil in what time I leave, what time I arrive, what time I start my warm-up, what time I start my my drills, what time I start put my spikes on, what time I uh, go to the car room, what time then the race starts. And then I it's a teach, then I again I do cool down, what time, then I, you know, and I'll, I'll adapt to well, so events get moved, things happen and stuff. But really having that structure really settles you and again my warm would be all very similar i do the same one for each competition and i'd learn through the season what's too much what's too little and i'd have a little bit of bandwidth as well so you know some days you just warm up and you're ready to go after one stride like and i have four to six down on paper so I'm like okay i'll just do four then i'm not going to go the full six because i'll probably fatigue myself now so i think all that really really helps with nerves because you have a plan and you know if i do everything on this checklist tick off as I always do I know I get myself onto the start list in the position that I need to be in but if I don't follow the plan you know then you leave room for guessing or second guess I did this this week maybe I went really well I wonder if that was caused it or you don't do this one week and then you're to the language but then you know you, you I put it down to that so I think I really have that helps kind of all the second guessing around competition you have to have some sort of mental process as well how you you handle the nerves or the pressure and because obviously that's a whole different story again. Talk me through that story then. How is it that you handle the pressure? I've gotten really good at that the last year and I find that's helped my performance a lot. I think I used to get too up for races and too intense about them and like it was there was benefit to that because was, you know like in training I could get quite intense and I could really be like aggressive and in a good manner but like explosive and really utilize my power. But I think in races I was almost going too far that you'd get to the point where you're almost too intense and hyped up about it or feeds into nerves a bit more then and you're kind of you're out of control a bit and then technique might not look be as nice and then you're you're not really thinking about your process what you need to do and and how to do it so the last two years then what i tried to do is pull that back and really go in much more level headed and and much more relaxed but having like a clear agenda of what you need to do and how to go about doing it. The national title last year is a massive deal. Like, and you're, you're going to be nervous and I'd be absolutely devastated if I didn't win last year. And, you know, when I did win, I was over the moon, but it's still just one of the meters that you've done countless amount of times and you do it in training and you know exactly what you need to do. If you do that, 
you put yourself in a position to win or not win. There's nothing else you can do. You know, if you do that, that's all you can do. If someone runs at 9-9 and beats you, like, there's nothing you can do. You're in control only of yourself, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So control the con- what you can control. And I think that's really helped me in the last two years because I go into stuff a bit more calm and level-headed. And a good example of that was, I remember, when I ran 20.93, which was um, questionable me because the time was wrong. Initially, it took a month to get the correct time and stuff. So there's a lot of mess around that. But that day around 10.4 in the 100 meters, windy. So it wasn't a PB, but it was it was a fast time. So I knew I was in flying form. And the 200 then was up next and the wind was coming around the bend and then onto the straight. So I knew again, it was in really good conditions. And if, you know, for those that don't know, with you have to have a wind reading under two meters a second for the time to be legal or to count as a PB. But in the 200s, it's only on the straight that they measure it. So the bend, you could have plus five or six. So that day, I probably had plus four in the bend, like which is it's the dream conditions for a 200. So I was so like I hadn't broken 21 seconds, and I just, I knew I knew it was on that day. I knew it was definitely like you know well within my capability. So I had to really calm myself because I was getting really hyped up about it. And going back to my old ways, I had to. I even put on the luminaires and listened to like and what song was was something just to calm me down and. I brought myself back down there and then I really just focus on executing and the work days and I around 20.9. So that's always a good example. I go back to, to reassure myself. And that's the thing again, to make it individual for yourself. There's a lot of people who would nearly be too relaxed that I would know personally going into a race that'd be so relaxed that it's very yeah. hard. It's very hard to nearly fire them up. You have to fire them up just enough, but not over that mark that they're going to get um, overexcited, if you will. Um, yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, it's about the arousal when it comes to performance. Really, if you're yeah, yeah. understimulated, you're not gonna you're not gonna perform optimally. If you're overstimulated as well, you're still not gonna perform optimally. So exactly. it's all. So again, it's completely up to you about how you deal with this, how you deal with stress, and how you deal with the situation. So to, to take a step away from the athletics for two seconds, I, I wanted to talk to you about your tech, your interest in technology and sports. So as you said, you went down a master's in, in was it computer science? Yeah, I did a computer science conversion course in UCD. And so the higher diploma and then the master's for two semesters then after. What was the reason for the changeover from physio? I did physio originally because I was just interested in sports science. I wasn't that interested in injury or physiotherapy as such. I was much more interested in strength conditioning and sports science side of it. So I did physio and then I worked for two years as strength conditioning coach and I liked it, but I didn't see myself doing a full career in it. Well, I thought about it. I thought about going back to do a master's in SNC because I had no official qualification in it. Uh, I had my physio, but, you know, you need SSC for a lot of the, the bigger jobs and, you know, big teams or any kind of institute of sport, right? And then the thought of computer science also came into my head and that's just based off my kind of logical side of, side of me um, and maths and stuff from school. And then I also kind of was always interested in computers uh, when I was younger and stuff. So I thought about it, I was like, I wonder, I know, knew nothing about it really. But I think it just aligned with my personality. I then decided to go down that route and it worked out really well because I absolutely love it. Do you use it at all for your training? Yeah. So for the listeners that don't know what it is, it's a, it's a sensor from Output Sports. It's called the Capture and it's a, an accelerometer and gyrometer. And, and so you can attach it to different body parts of the bar and you can do lots of different tests with it. So you can measure like bar speed, you can measure angular velocity or the range of motion during the movement or jump height, ground contact times, and hopefully doing some sort of timing down the line now too. So just the nature of it is really handy for training. So the big things I use with it are probably the bar speed for power output and, you know, because it drives intent when you have something measuring and seeing how, far, how fast the bar is moving, especially when you're training on your own these days. 
great to kind of have that and go, okay, that was a slack knot. Let's say I need to, you know, be more explosive and drive far. And again, I can measure CMJ now, which I would have done on an obstacle jump before, probably once every month, maybe, because you have to set it up. And, you know, it takes 10 minutes of your session. Well, now I just throw it on my foot and just, you know, I can do two, three jumps every session and you can measure longitudinally then how you improve. And then you can use it then as a wellness, measure fatigue and stuff. So I know I'm down. My PB is over around 64 centimeters now. So I know anything high 50s is normalish for me. And if I'm down at low 50 and I'm trying like to jump high, then I know, geez, I'm, I'm a bit flat here. And I might then be a bit more cautious in my session or adapt it a bit. Give me an example of a session. If you were fatigued beforehand and you found out you were fatigued beforehand, what would you do to change your session then? A big one, I suppose, is when you're doing speed work. And if I did a CMJ and I was way down, it hasn't really happened this year at all, so I haven't had to do it. I'd either, one, stick to the session, but be really aware of my body and how I feel and don't put myself in compromising permission or positions and try like not to over-fatigue myself where you might hurt yourself. Or you could then fall back to maybe a, a plan B session, and which might be, you know, maybe I'll do strength endurance today because it's not as taxing on the nervous system. I can still get a bit of volume or running in. And so I don't have to do that too often, thankfully, because we've got balance now. A few years ago, this is before I, use, I was using output now, but in the UCD high performance gym, the off jump was set up. So I had a speed session one day and the next day I was in the gym that morning. So I probably had less than 24 hours recovery. And I remember doing RSI and my RSI score was appalling. And like it just showed, like I was literally jumping, I was stick, sticking to the ground and I was jumping and I was sticking to the ground. I just had no reactive strength and my nervous system was just fried. That day then, you know, you just take a bit easier in the gym or just, you know, you might even take the day off because you're, if you're completely flat and then you're just flogging a dead horse as well. So that's the output system. So I use that for a lot of things now this year because obviously I've only started there four or five months ago. So I've had access to it since then. So that's been really, really useful. But I've also always managed kind of like training load in kind of an Excel spreadsheet. Well, I progressed. I went from diaries. I've always had a training diary since I met mm-hmm. coach back in 2015. He's made me keep a training diary and um, just to keep a record of what you're doing and how you felt. And looking back then, you can see where you've come from and, compare things i've now moved on to more of a spreadsheet and the spreadsheet's got more and more complex every year as my excel skills get better <laughs> things i'm monitoring that are so distance max velocity distance i kind of measure the intensity at each of each session and then multiply it by distance so it gives you kind of like a relative load because obviously if you do a 5k but you're jogging it's you know it's five thousand meters but it's probably if you're jogging maybe it's worth 30 percent of that in load terms well, if you have flat out 100 meters, it's only 100 meters, but it's probably worth the 400 meters in terms of load. It's kind of an arbitrary load thing I use for distance. And then I track plyo contacts. So I track tonnage in the gym. I track Borg. So kind of perceived. Uh, Rate of exertion. Exactly. Perceived exertion after each session. Circuits, I track time. I can easily track CMJ and RSI and stuff. So I can see every week how my CMJ is improving or decreasing. Or, so they're the main things I, tra- I track in the spreadsheet. And it's, it's more just for me and I use it and I can look back and it's really nice to compare previous sessions you've done or to this season or what you might have done two years ago. And that's when I get out the old, old school diaries and, and looking at the old 300 sessions. And I used to do 44 seconds or 45 seconds and now you're down to 40. 41 seconds you know it's a big difference and then another obviously big one i use is video analysis and just simple just tripod camera recording and then throwing it in something slow motion and just checking body positions and that's become really important the last year and a half since Stuart hogg now has got involved uh, in my 
my setup. So he's based in Scotland. He's a super experienced, really good coach. But because he's in Scotland, he can't see me in person. He started coaching me just before lockdown. Um, we haven't even had the chance to fly over him, to fly over here. I've met him only once in the last year and a half. So I upload them all to a drive and then I just send him the link on the drive. He can play them back in slow motion and go frame by frame and he can check my technique. So so that's probably the most, probably the most important piece of technology for me at the moment. For you, if you had to pick, pick at least one piece of tech for someone who's in an athletic club someone who wants to get that a little bit faster like you once did what would you recommend i don't know if you can classify stopwatch as tech but that would be <laughs> you know i've even overlooked it but, you know you can't do eight without a stopwatch you know you're 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 in the dark so i suppose you know but genuinely stopwatch is probably most important but you know not taking the easy option out it probably is the output capture system now because it's new and it's got it encapsulates a lot of different stuff. You know, you're missing one or two things. Like you don't time engage in at the moment, but they hopefully come down the line. Video analysis, everyone has a camera, so everyone can do that now as well. And um, so it'll be between the two of them because you need to you need to see the positions you're in. But if you have a coach, they can also give you that feedback and they can but some people need visual cues and see what they're doing wrong. So I don't have a clear answer for you, but yeah, between one or two of those. If you have a phone though, you've got both of them. So <laughs> But then to have a coach who understands what you need, as well as understanding the basic biomechanical principles is very important. Yeah. Was it tough picking a coach then to address those components with you? To be honest, myself and Kieran kind of came in touch kind of by accident. It wasn't really planned or anything. I was at a long jump workshop that he was hosting. I had a quick chat with him and I was talking about my shin splints and injuries. So I started going to him about my shins. And then I also still trouble my knees. So I started looking at my knee and I was a long jumper. So just kind of things started to happen naturally. But he's so massively important because he's super good technical eye on things and really technique focused, which is probably what I needed um, and still needs. So he's great. Even we're trained today. So Stuart kind of programs the blocker training, what the sessions are and the time and stuff. Well, then Kieran implements it with me and he makes technical adjustments in person. And again, he gives feedback to Stuart and makes changes that he thinks will help the program. So it's a real, real good relationship between the three of us where we all have input and make changes. But yeah, definitely having a technical eye. Stuart, again, he's obviously a very good technical eye, but he has to do it through video. And then some coaches are really good coaches eye in person. And then some people might need more technology and some people won't need technology to do it all. It's a super experience. And like, you know, if you look at some of the American coaches like Dan Paff, like he just, I was watching a video during the week of him doing like a land-based warm-up and he's looking at how the hips undulate and oscillate. A true t-shirt, he can kind of, again, he could be and we might not see anything, but he can see restrictions and movements just like that. And it's just so much experience. But like you said, you have to have someone who really understands, you know, just the basics that, you know, most Joe Soap coach can give, but then it's to bring it to the next level and make the small adjustments and then also help with injuries because biomechanics makes such a huge part to your, you know, keeping healthy. Um, and it's hard to even see some of those things. Some of they look good and if you break them down, they don't look as good as you think. Again, as we said before, it's pay, it's paid dividends. So in, uh, in fairness to you and the coaches, but at the end of the day, you are the one that's on that track. Fair play to you for all the work that you've done over the years. It's it's for me, having known you since what, 2012, and then to see the progress, whether it'll be the national championships, the varsities, all those training sessions run far and I'm on the tri Tala track on Saturdays. It's great to see where you are now. So credit to you all the same. Yeah, I think it's me. I have to, I finish off every 
free uh, episode then with uh, listeners' questions. Now, oddly enough, the two listeners' questions this week they want to remain anonymous. <laughs> okay. no and I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a clue uh, only because <laughs> only because I, I despise the fact that they want to stay anonymous. Is you <laughs> actually know one of these lads from your own club? That's all I'm going to say to you. Uh, okay, okay. Um, that yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll let you sit with that. So um, the the first question I have is, what does your weight program entail of? Now, just specifically your resistance program. What does that entail of? To keep it simple, I suppose, like that's Stuart's weight programs are quite simple in a good way. You know yourself, being a coach, like they can be completely over complex and you can get, you know, you can really overcomplicate things as well. So the main thing for me is just strength and power, the speed and the kind of faster stuff in the force velocity curve. A lot of that, like I'm sprinting three days a week. So a lot of that happens naturally on the track and it doesn't have to be replicated too much in the gym. So we focus more so on the other side. So I suppose we do a lot of strength work, some pretty heavy power work. And then at times then we do kind of more middle power or speed kind of strength stuff. That's more from the competitions and that's kind of more maintenance stuff. To break it down a bit more, that's kind of general level is, um, again, we follow general kind of simple periodization where we go from quite strength-based to max strength, to more power work and then maintenance work. Nothing crazy there. So over the winter, we probably could be up around five reps, five by five or so. Then we might drop down to maybe three by five or fours for strength work. And then again, keep around four reps and three by four, but lighter weight for maintenance. Then in terms of the power lifts, it'd be, it'd be something quite similar as well. The main lifts I do then are I'd probably do back squat in one session, front squat in one session. I do some sort of clean, hang clean in one session. Then the other session, I'd either do some sort of clean pull variation or I would like to do snatch but my body disagrees my arms are too long so it gets quite uncomfortable and so I don't do much snatches and then we do accessory work so some sort of overhead overhead squat or overhead lunge and we do some sort of single leg matter step up and lunge again splitting them over two sessions and, and then we do some sort of hamstring work so Nordics or DLs and then I have my own extra bits I add in just in terms of my history knowing my body like my Achilles have been giving me kind of some trouble over the winter. So I've doing eccentrics and I've knocked it nipped in the bug quite early. I just had adductor problems over the years. So I always keep my adductor work in and then a little bit of core stuff as well for kind of abdominal strength in relation to a groin injury I had as well. Super information, a great detail of information even. The next question I have is what does food look like for you in a given week? Yeah. So nutrition is one area um, that luckily for me, it doesn't probably play as important of a role in other people some people really have to be really strict and monitored a lot and i'm very thankful that i don't have that issue that i can kind of be quite relaxed about it in you know in a professional manner so for me i just try to eat just good meals for the most part try to get your food from good sources i treat myself so as well because one i can two keeps you sane as well and especially when you can do it you might as well do it but obviously keeping in check like if I start to feel like I was putting on weight like fast that I don't need then obviously you gotta catch yourself and stuff you're in the sport for well, like 10 years you know if you're serious about it, like you know like at least 10 years so you've got to whatever you do whether it's your training your nutrition and um, or something else you've got to be sustainable for that length of period because otherwise you might have a short and sweet two three year career and then blow up because you can maintain the, the level of expectations you're trying to mm. so that's kind of how i approach it and i i just i know my body as well like i know what kind of weight i'm at i know it's getting a little bit a little bit chubby it doesn't happen too often but you know you pull yourself back or another 
really important thing that I suppose people don't stress enough. Well, there's probably more so now is that you're getting enough food in. And, you know, especially in distance running because you're burning through so much calories and you have a light body weight already, that it's just super important and that you're getting in um, lots of vitamins and minerals as well and keeping the bones and immune system strong. This is a side question onto the one that I just got there, but what's your opinion about supplements? Yeah, so supplements, I take them. They're not necessarily always necessary. And they do make life a bit easier, definitely. And again, that kind of makes it easier. Why not? Again, I don't know. I'm sure I haven't looked at research too much in a long time, but just research generally is quite good for the ones I take. So I would take protein, but just after sessions because you want the quick release to help recovery. And I can get it for food, you know, every other time. I take creatine because there's a lot of research in that that's quite, it's very safe and that really helps with power and capacity as opposed to this, but max power but you know so if you're a sprinter it might help you maintain your top speed for five point five seconds instead of five seconds you know the other one i take is beta alien so that's a lactic buffer again i think there's decent research on that and that then obviously helps with 200 and 400 stuff and even 100 there is very 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 slight lactic so any any help you you can get you'll take and then i just take bcas purely because of the flavor and it's nice and it kind of gives you a little bit of li- i don't really take caffeine because i don't like being reliant on it It kind of makes me a bit too jittery but i take bca because it gives me the vitamins and the amino acids they feel like to give me a little bit of a lift and the flavor to sip on before training to get hydrated during the session it's nice to drink as well so well listen see that's absolutely super i mean as far as i'm concerned that's a, a lot of pretty solid information for anyone that really wants to get into sprinting as well if you had to leave the the listeners with one thing to say about sprinting, if they were in a position where they're in an athletics club, whether they be young, whether they be senior, and they wanted to continue where they are, what would you recommend? The main thing is to keep building and build slowly and to realize that you haven't reached your capacity until you've kind of peaked in every area of sprint training, which, as you know, is a hell of a lot of areas. So, you know, to break down, you have simply like your technique. Unless your technique is perfect, you can improve your strength. Unless your strength is up, probably, again, I don't want to just give random numbers, but if it's up around two times your body weight, you can improve it. Like your power, you know, if your CMJ is not at least, you can probably improve it. Your RSI, ground contact time, if you slow off the floor, you can probably improve your time. So, and nutrition, body weight, psychology, there's about a million different areas that improve your training. And, you know, you probably haven't reached your potential. Probably no one does reach their potential, but don't think, you know, you've plateaued or you can't improve or you know, question, question why you're not improving, find the reasons why and address them. Brilliant, Steve. If anyone was to get in touch with you, if you are welcoming contact, uh, how could they do that? Um, I'm on Instagram. Don't really use it anymore. I've kind of, I go on probably every few weeks just to check if anyone's messaged me because I don't want to be ignoring people. But uh, I don't really use it anymore. I think it's Stephen Gaff on that. But um, I think you had a link on your Instagram so you probably find me there. And then on Twitter, I just kind of use for news. So you can feel free to contact me on that. I do not know my Twitter handle, but I'll <laughs> be something along the lines. I'll, ta- yeah. so, I'll, ta- I'll tag it into the, the bio of the episode. That's no problem whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Or the, by post, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dying art, it is. Yeah. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for hopping on to today's podcast and best of luck with your training going forward. What's next for you? Next for me, who knows? It's um, blank canvas at the moment with the outdoor meets, but it'll be outdoor season some shape or form. Um, so big game, big game this year is retaining national title and just keep improving. So whatever races are there this summer, I'll take so. 
Brilliant, Steve. Thanks very much, man, and yeah. best of luck with everything going forward. Thanks, Mayor Lawrence. My pleasure. On your board. Set. Well, that episode flew in. Nearly as quick as one of Stephen's races. Apologies, folks. I take my opportunities when I can, bad jokes or not. Thanks again to Stephen for hopping on and providing all that knowledge and insight into what it takes to become the fastest man in Ireland. A title that, really, I'm sure a lot of us couldn't even imagine holding. But for Stephen, it's paid dividends to have those years of consistent hard work and dedication to doing what he loves to get to where he is now. And he deserves every little bit of success that comes his way in the future and all the success that has come his way so far. So fair play to you, Stephen, and thanks again for your time. If you're looking to get in touch with him, as we mentioned there at the very end of the episode, his Twitter handle is at StephenGaffney1. His Instagram name is StephenGaff7. I'll tag these on my Instagram and in the episode bio so that you guys can get in touch with him if you have any questions about all things athletic performance or even if you have any questions about his current position with Output Sports or indeed you are an athlete or you have an interest in athletics. Fire him a question using his social media handles. Very knowledgeable guy, has years of coaching experience behind him and a man that I would trust for advice, especially in the sport of athletics. As always, guys, thank you so much for coming this far. If you have, do consider rating, reviewing and subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts these days. I also really want to get in touch with you, the listeners. So if you guys could fire me an email or even a message on Instagram using my contact details that Ari will provide you next, I'd love to hear your feedback before I decide to carry on for season two. There's two episodes left in this season. On next week's episode, I'm going to be speaking to the owner of a gym about all things business development, how he built the gym from the ground up and how he got to where he is now tune in on my instagram during the week to figure out who exactly that is thanks again for all your support guys do get in touch and i'll chat to you guys on next week's episode if you want to talk to my daddy go on email and instagram his instagram is lb performance and his email is coach at lb performance.ie see you in the next episode bye-bye Thank you.